Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, the craze of the month of April on Twitter and social media was none other than Dogecoin. I don't know if you've heard of this, Dogecoin, but it started out as a joke or a meme as a kind of a rage against the authority. We're going to make our own form of currency. And on January 1st, this one Dogecoin, this digital currency, cryptocurrency it's called, you could buy one of them for one twentieth of a cent. That's what it was worth. One twentieth of a cent. So pretty much valueless. But it went from one twentieth of a cent all the way up to nearly three quarters of a dollar in a matter of four months. And as you can imagine, the people that invested big time in this Dogecoin were pretty happy when that happened, some even becoming millionaires from January to April. On April 28th, Elon Musk, if you've heard of him, the founder of Tesla, he even promoted the coin, tweeted about it. He talked about it on Saturday Night Live and uh, made a big deal of it, and the price went even further. And um, the Oakland Athletics even said, we'll accept Dogecoin as a form of payment at a weekend's baseball games. Pretty crazy for this little coin. And my brother-in-law, who's pretty uh, wise financially, so I kind of trust his opinion, he said, you need to get some Dogecoin at the beginning of April. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And I ended up buying a couple hundred dollars worth, and I doubled my money in a week. It was awesome. <laughs> this Dogecoin is great. Um, but an investment of a thousand bucks on January 1st was worth $121,000 by May 5th. They interviewed a guy named Glaber Contest Soto on April 15th when he became a Dogecoin millionaire. In an interview, he said, I'm very bullish on Dogecoin's growth, and I thought it could help me build generational wealth to pass on to my future family. I grew up really poor, he said, so this is a huge deal for me. When asked of how he interacted with Dogecoin's growth, he said, I was up all night just staring at my screen. And it reminded me of something my coworker actually told me at my IT job at the high school I work at. He's into cryptocurrency and he said, I just wake up in the middle of the night and I have to check it to see how it's doing. Well, many continued to invest. Uh, Dogecoin has since dropped from its record high of 69 cents down to about 25 cents, wiping out the couple hundred bucks that I made, but wiping out hundreds of thousands of dollars for other people who had become millionaires, generational wealth and fortunes almost overnight. Money, the allure of riches, wealth, it's everywhere in our society. You know that one out of every seven verses that is quoting Jesus in the Bible has to do with money? It's pretty important. So let's look at what God's Word has to say to us about money today. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, I invite you to turn there with me. There's a Bible in front of your chair if you don't have one. We're continuing our series, Life-Changing Lessons from the Parables of Jesus this week. Pastor Chad walked us through the sower, the seed, uh, the parable of the sower. I don't know, I'm, I'm messing up the name. And then the Good Samaritan last week. And this week we get to talk about the parable of the rich fool. 
the parable of the rich fool. So starting at verse 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, eat, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Our parable uh, today is telling us not only to examine how much money or the lack thereof of money that we have, but our heart's very posture towards wealth and money in our life on this earth. So let's pray. God, I pray that uh, as we read your word that we would just be overjoyed to hear that you have something for us this morning, that you're speaking to our hearts. What a privilege to share from uh, your holy and precious word. We love you, Lord Jesus, and pray that you would just speak through me uh, this morning as we, as we talk together. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll start with our first point, riches for now. So if we get to this Luke chapter 12, you look at verse 13, and it's easy to imagine this conversation that's happening between Jesus and like a group of, let's say, 20. You, you're probably picturing in your mind they're all sitting on some rocks by the lake and there's a fisherman nearby, you know, kind of listening over to Jesus as he is trying to catch his fish. I guess they didn't have fishing poles back then, but regardless, um, that's kind of the picture you have in your mind as Jesus is talking to these people. But if you look back at verse 1, you'll see a much different picture. You'll see it says, thousands of people were trying to hear what Jesus had to say, crowding around. It even says that they were trampling on one another. Very different idea, very different story, right? People straining to hear what Jesus had to say. And we see he's saying these great things. He's telling them, do not fear those who can kill the body, that God will care for them. He warns of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He pleads with them to acknowledge God before men. And as he's saying these things, all of a sudden, this guy gets up, and he probably yells, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right? It sounds like something my brothers and I would yell at my parents when they were in the midst of an important conversation, you know. He's not sharing. Tell him to give me this or that. Seems like an immature man who's very, very focused on the riches of this life. You'd, you'd have to be if you're going to shout that question while you're getting trampled by thousands of people. But Jesus responds to this man by saying, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care 
Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus tells this man to be on guard. And the specific word that's used, the simplified Greek word is phulaso. It's very fun to say, so why don't you say it one time with me, as pastors always do. Say the Greek word with me. Phulaso, right? Okay. Phulaso, it means uh, to be on guard, to keep watch, lest he escape. That's what the specific word means. And it's only used one other time in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, where Peter is extolling believers to be on your guard against the errors of the wicked so that you do not fall away from steadfastness. And I think that as a church today, we're, we're pretty aware of that, right? We need to be on our guard against the error of the wicked. We're watching to make sure we're not shaken by the things of this world, the ideologies that pull us to and fro away from God. We're very aware of that. I hear that we have a bunch of very discerning believers that are always giving me like helpful resources. Hey, watch out for this. You know, this is not of God. It might sound like it, um, but it's, it's a little bit off base. We're very comfortable with the idea of being on guard against the errors of the wicked. But Jesus is saying the same thing about all kinds of covetousness and riches. And how often do we approach that with the same type of ferocity, right? The same type of wariness that we need to be on our guard, fulasso, watch out, make sure he doesn't escape. We live in a get-rich-now kind of era where wealth is just, you know, everywhere. And it's promoted to us, pushed in our face, and we're said, you should want this, you should want that. We want to get rich. We want to be like those who have it all. Just a quick Google search turned up uh, these five articles, all right? Here's five article titles. You can find them in Google if you want. How to get rich from nothing. Four steps anyone can take to become rich. How to get rich, the steps to build wealth now. And then my two favorites. How to get rich quickly, realistically. They admit maybe there's something a little more to this. And then the best one, how to become rich overnight. The steps you need to follow. I almost clicked on that one, but I refrained. I refrained. But it's true, we're, we're obsessed with this. We see people, you know, spending money just to the chance to win the lottery, to, to get rich quick. You know, we see us rejoicing over a stimulus check, maybe that we didn't even really need, but oh, now I can go buy that thing that I really wanted. You know, we spend hours scrolling through houses. If I only lived there, I could have this and this and that backyard and this extra room and we wouldn't have that worry or that worry and we scroll and shop online for hours and hours putting things in the Amazon cart and as I do, clicking save for later and never actually buying it over and over again. And we buy clothes just not to, because we need them, but because we want to look like we're wealthy, right? We want to look like we have the appearance of having it all together. Riches and elevated status, it oozes out of every corner of the society that we live in. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Keep watch, lest he escape. Almost like a prison guard, watching over the person they're supposed to be attentive to, 
making sure they don't escape. Their very livelihood depends on it. And Jesus is saying, with that same sincerity, be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? Why? Why does it matter? Why, why can't we just have everything in this life, you know? What's the big deal? Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 23, he says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, riches can be blinding. They take our trust that's supposed to be in God, and they put it in the money that we have. It leads us away, promising us this and that, saying, you'll have the world if you just come chase after me. And Jesus says, no, it's not the answer. It's not the answer. There was a Princeton University study in 2010 that analyzed the, uh, um, the, how wealth and money increase together. Um, so say, you know, someone gets more money, they'll get uh, sorry, not wealth and money. Wealth and happiness. That probably confused you. Wealth and happiness. Um, you know, somebody earns more money, obviously they're going to get more happy, right? And so they did a big study in America to test this out, and they found that, you know, indeed, as you start with zero dollars and you start to make more money, $10,000, $20,000, your happiness by day will increase, but only up to a certain point. You see, once happiness and wealth, once you're at $75,000, they found that no matter how much more money you made, that, wealth, that happiness didn't really increase anymore for those people. In fact, it even decreased a little bit the more money that they had. And we say to ourselves, oh, if I only just had this much more money, then I would just be happy. If I only lived in this house, if I only could have this or that, then these worries would just disappear from my mind. It's not true. It's a lie of the enemy, and Jesus says, be on your guard. In 1 Timothy 6, we read, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What do those who have all the money say? Right, what do they say? They ask John Rockefeller, you know him, the oil tycoon, you know, how much more money do you need to be happy? And you want to know what he said? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Jim Carrey, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. We have so many examples of people reaching the pinnacle of wealth and saying, it's not all that much prettier up here on the top. Tom Brady, he won three Super Bowls in his first five years in the NFL, ascended like almost no quarterback ever had. He was wildly popular, quarterback of the New England Patriots, had all the money, the fame, the big contract, the advertisements that he was in. And he was on a 60 Minutes interview in 2000, the late 2000s, and they were asking him about his 
uh, wealth and fame that he had gained. And this is what he said. Go ahead. Please. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, you know put a happy face on. Happy face on. Sometimes I don't feel like that. Feel like that. Now you've seen now you a, seen bit, the a bit the reluctant star. star. Well, well, the problem the is, problem it's, is it's, you can't have you one can't without, have the other. without the other. You can't have the you football have the fame football and, not and not the other stuff. The other stuff. So, so, in a lot of ways, I've created, created this myself. myself. <laughs> it's what you always want. You <laughs> You're, right. You're right. You're right. It has. Right. It has. And, and I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. But at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. Better at night. Being that, being that, no way, no way. You mean like you alone, mean like alone, alone or, not or not alone? alone. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and 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 still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, I mean. Maybe a lot of people lot would of say, people hey, man, say, this hey, is man, what this it is. is. I, I reached my goal, my, my dream, my dream, life, is, life is... Me, I thank me, God. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Since then, Tom Brady's more than doubled his Super Bowl ring total. He's married to a model. He's got a great family. And I wonder how he would answer that question now as he's still playing and he's in his 40s, still chasing that one thing that he wishes he knew would bring him ultimate joy. Commentator David Guzik says this about Luke chapter 12. He says, most of us are very afraid of poverty but we should be much more afraid of being rich. Most of us are very afraid of poverty, but shouldn't we be much more afraid of being rich? 1 Timothy 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Scripture tells us to guard against riches by what? By pursuing contentment. It says contentment is great gain. It's of great value to you. Perhaps even greater than all the riches in this world that they could offer us. The world will tell you you don't look enough, you don't drive enough, you don't live in enough, you don't wear enough, but God says be content in me. Be content in me. So that's riches for today. Let's look at riches for tomorrow. Verse 16, getting into the parable. It says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself?
F. Scott Fitzgerald, the author of The Great Gatsby, uh, said this about the rich. He said, Let me tell you about the very rich. They are different than you and me. They possess and enjoy early, and it does something to them. Makes them soft where we are hard, cynical where we are trustful, in a way that unless you were born rich, it's very difficult to understand. They think deep in their hearts that they are better than we are because we had to discover the compensations and refuges of life for ourselves. Even when they enter deep into our world or sink below us, they still think that they are better than we are. They are different. And when we read these passages in Scripture, it's very easy to think of it as F. Scott Fitzgerald does. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. You know, the rich, yeah, somebody should go tell Jim Carrey. Someone should tell Brady. Someone should tell the Kardashian family this message, right? We need, to, we need to get that to them. Those rich people need to hear the verses that Jesus is telling us today. Those people that are different than you and me. They don't understand. But in this parable that Jesus tells us, it doesn't really describe the massive rise to fame, get-rich phenomenon of our American society. Instead, it's a story about a, a guy with land, right? He's probably a farmer. He manages a property. That takes a lot of work, right? You know, I'm, I'm not really experienced in farming, but I know there's going to be no article that says, you know, three steps to get rich to farming by Friday afternoon. You know, it doesn't work like that, Right? It's a lot of hard work, steady and slow accumulation of value and wealth. And we see this man, he's running out of room to store this wealth because it's been a, pros- a prosperous thing for him. He says, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, I guess I should tear down my barns and build some bigger ones so I can put it away, so I can have it for the rest of my life and have things stored away. He's not taking it to the market and blowing it all right away like the the story of the younger brother with his inheritance. No, he puts it away. He says, I'm going to put it away so I can relax, eat, drink, and be merry, and take things easy after my land has produced for me. And from our American perspective, I think we would hardly ever say, you fool to this man. No, we would say, great job. You did it. You achieved financial freedom. Or financial peace, as Dave Ramsey likes to call it. You've saved for a rainy day. You were responsible. Your your house is paid off. You don't have any debt. You've got money put away for your kids' college fund and even some for your grandkids. You're you're awesome. Can you come speak at church on Saturday about stewardship and explain how you did this to the rest of us? And yet we see that God says to this man, you fool. You fool. Psalm 39.6 says, Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. See, riches are not just something we use to buy things in the present, but also in the future. We can use them to give us immediate pleasure and gratification, or we can use them to provide security for our hearts 30 years down the road or so we think. 
Riches can be used to buy the latest and greatest toy or whatever it is, or buy time, relaxation, and a feeling of peace years from now. And we seem to have a big problem with one, um, but we praise generally the other. And if I put myself in one of these two camps, it's definitely the latter. You know, I'm a budgeter. I hate spending money. Maybe some of you can relate to me. You know, I just cringe if the restaurant bill is too high. You know, when I go shopping for clothes, it's grab it, look at the tag. Nope, grab it, look at the tag. You know, I'm just going down to see what's affordable for me, right? And I, I'm financially organized, and it's just it's enjoyable in my mind. But the allure of riches pulls just as hard at my heart as it does somebody who runs from store to event to restaurant to store racking up credit card debt. Because it's easy for me to say I'm content with what I have right now, but much harder to say I'm content with uncertainty in the future because I know that my God will provide for me. Look at the verses right after this parable in Luke 12, starting at verse 22. This is what Jesus says. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow nor, or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? God is not impressed when we're able to store up treasures for ourselves, for our future life in this earth, when our hearts are relying on that for our security, when our hearts are trusting in that money, just the same as somebody would trust in that money today. It's all about our heart. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Keep watch, lest he escape and capture that heart and draw away your trust from him. He says, pursue contentment in response to riches to today. And he says, pursue trust in me in response to riches for tomorrow. So that's riches for today, riches for tomorrow, and let's look at riches for all eternity. Starting at verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Those who will get what you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. What is the solution that Jesus says? What is the solution to dealing with the wealth in this world? He says, be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. How do we do that? How do we be rich towards God? God says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. That's what he says in the scripture. And there are many opportunities for us to be rich with our time, our finances, our energy, our passion, our desire for him, to be abundant in our giving, unrelenting in our serving. 
there's opportunities this week. We're going to the rescue mission on Saturday. Meeting here at 9.30. We'd love to have some of you guys come with. We're going to serve meals to the homeless in our county. You can go sponsor a kid online. It takes 20 minutes, 20, 30 bucks a month, and you can provide a lot of things that they need right now. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people in this church right now that have a need, an opportunity to be rich towards God. Maybe you're saying, I, you don't know my situation. You know, it's, I'm kind of in a difficult spot. It's not really my, my season of life to be giving. It's not really my, my peer. Maybe when I'm in a better place, you know, then I can be rich towards God. But for now, you know, I just need God to just give me stuff right now. Did you know that if you make $34,000 a year, pretty hard to survive out here making that, you're in the top 1% in the world in wealth. Top 1%. There's billions of people poorer than us as we sit here this morning. But this is not a process of beating ourselves up over the head, saying, I shall not want, I shall not want, I shall not want, I must give, I must give. That's not what God is after. God wants us to say, I already have, I already have, I already have in Christ. Do you know that if you're a child of God today, that you are rich beyond compare? So rich that if everything in the world was on one side and the riches that God has for you was on the other, this would look like extreme poverty in comparison. Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. And, and it says he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. God has riches for you. This is not the prosperity gospel. He does. When you are a child of God, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord today and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you are saved and you are set free, you have the measurable riches of God's grace. You have an eternal home, an eternal life, a king who is welcoming you into his kingdom. And we're sitting over here playing in the mud of this earth, trying to make sure we have enough when God's like, I got everything for you. Everything. Luke 12 and verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a response of worship to what we already have in Christ that we can even be rich towards God because he says that the, the good deeds of the unrighteousness, uh, the unrighteous, they're like filthy rags. We have nothing to offer. 
But when we serve a God who is big, he supplies everything we need so we can give all that we see. Every need that we see, we can give towards knowing that God will provide for us and take care of us. Charles Spurgeon said this in response to the grace of God. He says, what riches of grace does free forgiveness exhibit? To forgive it, to forgive it all, to forgive fully, freely, forever. Here is a constellation of wonders, the grace of Jesus, that when I think of how great my sins were, how dear were the precious drops which cleansed me from them, I am in a maze of wondering, worshiping affection. Ah, it's awesome. I bow before the throne which absolves me, I clasp the cross which delivers me, and I serve henceforth the incarnate God through this, through whom I am this day, a pardoned soul. Jesus, the anthem of my heart, the anchor of my soul, I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I love you. I want to close with a story from a man named Pastor Dave McFadden who shared this in a sermon years ago talking about his childhood in the 1940s. And he says this. I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14. My little sister Osie was 12 and my older sister Darlene 16. We lived at home with our mother and the four of us knew what it was to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my older sisters were married and my brothers had left home. A month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. This would allow us to save $20 of grocery money for the offering. We thought that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three potholders to sell for a dollar. We made $20 on potholders. That month was the best of our lives. Every day, we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night, we'd sit in dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in our church, so we figured that whatever money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor had reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, O.C. and I walked to the grocery store and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for all our change. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had 70 for the sacrificial offering. 
We could hardly get to wait, wait to get to church the next day. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting in on the second row from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill, and each of us kids put in a 20 As we walked home after church, we sang all the way. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door and talked to him for a moment and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Mom put that money back in the envelope. We didn't talk, just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like poor trash. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I never thought we were poor. That Easter day, I found out we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family, so we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my clothes and worn-out shoes and felt so ashamed that I didn't even want to go back to church. We sat in silence for a long time, and it got dark, and we went to bed. All that week, we went to school and came home, and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with the money? We didn't know. We'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom said we had to. At church, we had a missionary speaker, and he talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on a church. And the minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached in her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me and I handed it to Osi and Osi put it in the offering. When the offering was counted, the minister announced that it was a little over $100. The missionary was excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly, it struck us. We had given 87 of that little over $100. We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? From that day, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. See, Jesus, he left everything. He left the throne room of heaven above, and he came and took the form of a servant, the form of nothing. He died on a cross so that you and I could be called children of God. So we might have the riches of the kingdom a great promise that we are always rich when we have Jesus and because of that we can be extravagantly generous with all that we have let's pray God I thank you for loving me thank you for loving me Lord thank you for loving each one of us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins that we could have that riches of grace that you speak of, Lord. 
Thank you that you are our Father on this Father's Day, that you care for us, that we need not worry about a thing when we have the God of heaven, the God of heaven on the throne looking out for each and every one of our needs. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want to be rich towards you as an act of worship for what you have done for us and how we live our lives each and every day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.